You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. ...among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when the Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of that place Terebrath, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlics. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And then down in verse 31, and it says, And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, And they gathered the quails. And he that gathered least gathered ten omers. And they spread them them abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kirbroth Hateva, because there they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kirboth Hateva unto Hazaroth and abode at Hazaroth. So, let me, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach. Just help me to um, say what you would have me to say and do it in a timely manner and that um, it would be a, um, a clear message from you, Lord, and all these things. Amen. So, for those who are interested in titles, I've titled this message, The Graves of Them That Lusted. And so the main thing I'm trying to get across today is that we cannot, that the world is constantly trying to get our attention off of God through advertisements and billboards and other such things, trying to get our attention off of God and the main reason that we are here and get us to fall after things that we do not need and to begin to want things that are not necessary for our life. And this is a prime example of what happens when one begins to listen to the world and what they have to offer and begin to put what God has said and promised us and begin to put it aside as something worthless. So the first thing I want to point out is that the children of Israel, they began to listen to the world and they fell into the same sin that they had so many times before been punished for. So in verse 4, it says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. Now, that term, the mixed multitude, is used only mainly in the New Test- Old Testament, and it's referring to the people who came out of Egypt with the children of Israel that were not um, entirely Jewish or Israeli in um, genealogy. Often it was P- Egyptians who had married Israeli women, or Israeli men and Egyptian women, or the children of couples of them, but they were not full-blood Israelis. And so they often had a lot of the culture and mindset of the Egyptians. 
And so in this passage and often they were referred to, the mixed multitude often represents the world when, because the children of Israel are like the congregation and the mixed multitude often refers to the world. And so it says here that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. So the world began to lust after meat and they were like, we remember all this great food we had. And the children of Israel begin to listen and they're like, yeah, we remember that food that we had and how it was wonderful in all this great food. But it seems like they had just forgotten. In the first three verses, it says that God sent fire among them and consumed them for their, because they complained. And in a cross reference in Psalms 78, David is writing a um, poetical history of Israel. And he talks about this passage And it says how they complained and were complaining about God's provisions. So they were complaining about his provisions, God's provisions for them. And he sent fire and he burnt them, burnt among them. And there was a great God, there was a great punishment from God. And then the very next verse, not, not the very next verse, God, they're already forgotten God's great punishment and are complaining again. And so they got their attention off of God and begin to listen to the world and begin to complain. And so we need to keep our attention on God because when we get our attention off of God, we'll begin to fall into the same sins that we have over and over and over again been besought by because we're not paying attention to what God has for us. And in the next two verses, five and six, they talk about how the, food, the great food that they remember in Egypt. So as we begin to entertain what the world has to say, what they have to offer will seem far more valuable than what God has already given us and promised us. So the food and fish that they're talking about, in Egypt, they have the Nile River runs through Egypt, and that's how they grow their crops. When the Nile overflow, overflows, it floods and irrigates that land, and that's how they're able to produce crops. And... Along the canals and canalways that they have in Egypt for better irrigation and stuff, a lot of things that grow there are leeks, onions, cucumbers. The food that they list all were commonly accessible food to the poor people. It wasn't the food they're listing out here that they remember as being so great and such great delicacies was simply highway weeds. It was food that grew along the canals and riverways of Egypt and was easily accessible to anyone and anyone. Often it was the food of people who could not afford to eat anything else than what they could pick up along the streets. And fish, you could fish the Nile River for free. And they are remembering this quote-unquote great food back in Egypt, yet they're forgetting the bondage that they were in and how they were in bondage to their to the Egyptians, and yet they would have rather, they're only remembering the great stuff that they had in Egypt. And so this great food that they're all listing out was nothing amazing. And in verse 6, it also says how their soul is dried, and it says, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. But we know when we go back to Exodus 16, which for sake of time I won't turn to, but in Exodus 16, verses 12 and 13, it talks about when 
the Israeli, when the children of Israel first complained about their provisions the first time, how God said, I'm going to send you manna, it's going to cover the dew, you're going to collect, you know, an ephah, each one of you, or an omer, and then you're going to collect the amount that I have said, and he said in the morning there's going to be manna, and in the evening you're going to have quail, and quail's going to cover the face of your camp, and you're going to have quail. So this thing that they're complaining about, how they have nothing but manna, is a wrong and faulty claim because the Bible clearly states that God sent them quail every night. And so when we begin to listen to the world, our judgment will become clouded and we will not, things that we already have will be seen like we don't actually have them because it's not what the world has to offer to us. And so as we begin to get our attention off of God, God's leadership and infinite wisdom will be brought into question. So we see here in um, verses 18 through 20, God is talking to Moses about how he is going to punish the children of Israel for their great sin. And he's talking to Moses, and as he's talking to him, he is saying, um, in verse 18, he talks about how the children of Israel say, for it was well with us in Egypt. And then down in verse 20, he's saying that I'm going to punish you, and the flesh that I'm going to send you is going to be loathsome unto you. And then it says here in the latter part of verse 20, Because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Now, that word despised is a very interesting word. I looked it up. I went to, back to the, when I was studying, I went to the Hebrew and went back to the exact translation. And the exact translation from the Hebrew of that set of words, is ye have despised, means to spurn. And so I have a general had a general understanding of what the word spurn meant, but I wanted to look it up and get a more clear and definite understanding of what that word spurn meant. And when I looked it up, it said to reject with disdain or contempt. So what God is telling Moses is the children of Israel have rejected him with disdain or contempt or both as being their God because they no longer view his provisions and his goodness as sufficient to cover their needs. That word reject, I also looked it up to make sure, and it means to view someone with and their provisions as inadequate. So they were viewing God as inadequate and faulty because they had gotten their attention off of God and had allowed their mind to be perverted and corrupted by what the world had to offer and what the world had to say made more sense all made more sense to them than what God had to say and anything the world has to say is pure fuel, foolishness but they would they valued the foolish knowledge of the world more than the true wisdom of what God has to say and when you allow when you have allowed it the the foolishness of the world to come into your mind it changes and affects you, and you will begin to lose sense of, of reality and value. And the children of Israel are a prime example of this. In verse 31, it talks about how God sent the quail, and it fell by the camp round about all the way around, two cubits or two cubits deep. So, cubits is a very it's an archaic um, measurement system used, seen primarily in the Bible. And so a cubit is, 
from the tip of your middle finger to the bottom of your elbow on a man, and so that's roughly about 18 inches. And so two cubits is three feet, roughly. So God sent three feet of quail all the way around in every direction around the children of Israel, and it says for a day's journey in every direction. Now, a day's journey is roughly, you know, for a company the size of the children of Israel would probably be around 10 miles, maybe a little more, but probably not much more than that that they would be able to travel in a day. And I don't know about most of you, but I haven't even seen three feet of snow or anything for as far as my eyes could see, let alone three feet of quail in one small area. But the children of Israel thought nothing of it. They just began to, it says in 32, verse 32, and the people stood up all that day and all that, stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day and they gathered the quails. So it didn't even phase them. As the quails fell down, they just began to go about in a frenzy collecting as much quail as they possibly could collect. And as they were collecting these quail, the Bible doesn't mention anything about whether they would have been traveling, walking out into the quail. They would have missed the manna and the quail that God had already been providing for them because they were so um, crazed to go get more flesh, which was quail, and they're already getting quail. So they were missing their meals to go get exactly the same food that they were already getting. And so in verse um, 33, it talks about how while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people. So before they could even consume the food that they had, that they had gathered and worked so hard to get, God punished them. And he punished them for the rejection for him of him, their lust, and their Greediness, because it says that the person who gathered least gathered ten omers of quail. Now, again, if I go back to Exodus 16, it talk, talking about how they got their manna and food and how the portions with which they were supposed to receive is everyone was supposed to get one omer of manna every morning, no matter who it was or how many people you had. Every person in your house got one omer. Now, it says here that they gathered 10 homers, and it takes 100 homer, homers to make one homer. So it's very similar, but similar to, you know, our ounces of pounds, but it was so they, each person, the person who gathered the smallest quantity of food was gathering 1,000 times more food than they were normally consuming. So they were gathering, the, and this is the person who gathered the smallest tiniest amount of quail gathered a thousand times more food than they were normally consuming. And so God punished them for their gluttony, the rejection of him, and for their lust. So how does this apply to us today in our life? Well, the Lord has used this passage and uh, what I have learned while, re while studying this in my life many ways to teach me the Lord, often we get our attention off of God, and when we do, we fall, we become susceptible to the same sins that we have been for so long. Life is extremely busy. We have jobs, we have responsibilities, we have relationships to grow and make keep strong. 
but the greatest relationship that we have is the one that we have with God. And if we, too often, that is the relationship that we see fit to set aside and allow to go to waste sooner than any other relationship or responsibility. We too often get with the busyness of our lives will, at least I do, I'll be working and helping my dad and other such things, and I will get tired and I'll sleep in extra just so I can get a few more extra minutes of sleep, and I'll neglect my Bible reading, and when I neglect my Bible reading, I often fall into the same traps and temptations that I have been that have I have so often fallen into simply because I have not put God first in my day or in my life and it's more I have this project or this thing to do and so I have to get it done now the the consequences for our sin and our getting our attention off of God may not always be immediate as it was for the children of Israel and often it will not bring about death but Eventually, it will catch up to us, and we will have, there will be consequences. And we may, we may not even be around for the consequences that fall on upon us for getting our attention off of God and listening to the world, but the consequences will come. And so we need to keep our attention on God and keep ourselves in his word and our focus on him because when we don't, we can fall into the same trap that the children of Israel fell into. So let the graves of them that lusted be a warning sign to us that what can happen when we do not keep our attention on God like we should. Thank you. Well, good morning. Oh, I'm shorter than both of them. All right. Well, good morning. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Well, it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, thank you, Brother Chad, for letting us stay at your house and all the fun times we've ever had. Not very many. I'm joking. All righty. Well, my name is Aaron Bowles. I'm from, where am I from? Oh, Morristown, Indiana, southeast of Indianapolis, just right outside the area. I got water, thank you. You can put it by my seat, though. I, I talk a lot, so. Is this thing on? Yes, it is. It is? Oh, good, good, good. All right. Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1. Please stand for the reading of the Bible. Out of respect for God's word, we'll be reading Jonah chapter 1. Alrighty. Man, this pulpit is big. I feel really tiny behind this thing. Reading verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You may be seated. I officially don't have a title, but if I could have official title, it'd be obeying God's word, obeying God's calling on your life. We'll begin with a word of prayer, then we get into the message. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. Just thank you for Elk Point Baptist Church and the opportunity to serve you, Lord, and then just being a blessing to us um, already. And um, with this message, I 
deeply need you, Lord. I, I realize I cannot do this on my own. And uh, just thank you for sending your son down the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my dad is a great bargainer. Garage selling has been involved in his life ever since I've known it. On Saturday mornings, we go bus visitation and garage selling. Now, somehow, he will talk this person into, I don't know, let's say a bike. A bike for $50. He talks him down to getting that bike down to like $5 somehow. I'm uh, being exaggerated, but he gets the, the prices way down. And I don't know how he does it, but he bargains the prices down. Now, Jonah tried bargaining with God. He said no to God. He's like, uh-uh, I ain't going to the Ninevites. They are wicked. They are evil. They are our sworn enemies of the Israelites. Now I can imagine Jonah had siblings, had family, had friends, loved ones, may have been killed by the Ninevites, may have been mistreated. I don't know what happened, but Jonah had no respect for the Ninevites at all. Now Jonah had a calling on his life, and his calling was to obey God and to go preach to the Ninevites. But we see here that he went down to Joppa. Now Joppa was a couple miles south of his city, and he was in, in the land of Israel. But he decided not to go to Nineveh, he decided to go to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is 2,500 miles away from Joppa. On the contrast, Nineveh is only 500 miles away from Joppa. Talk about running away from God. Well, I mean, we really can't run away from God. He's like omnipresent, so it's kind of hard not to do that. But like, sometimes we can think in our lives that we can outrun God. We are so wrong. We are so wrong when we think we can outrun God. And Jonah's like, I can outrun God. I don't need him in my life. And so he went all the way to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is on the southern tip of Spain. Now, Israel and Spain are pretty far away. you got the Mediterranean Sea all there. And so we all know the story. Jonah got on the ship, and they started traveling. Then all of a sudden, there's this massive storm that the seamen were afraid of. Now, I know I'm not much on the sea because I live in Indiana, and you guys live in Iowa, so we have no seas around here. So we can just imagine like a lake or a pond or something like that. But these men were scared out of their minds because of this storm. In verse 5 it says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried unto every man unto his God and cast forth the warriors that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Jonah decided to run away from God. And because of that, being disobedient to God's commandment, God's calling on his life, he put other people's lives at risk. Disobedience will hurt other people. And I've seen it in my life. I remember when my mom says not, not to do something where I have sinned, and I can see it lay effect on her life because she, she, she loves me. She cares for me. That being disobedient to her, to my dad, to those who care about me, it hurts them. Disobedience 
affects everybody in your life, even if you don't think about it. Now Jonah was asleep, and the mariners were going nuts. They had no idea what was going to happen. This, this, like I said earlier, the mariners were scared out of their minds. Now they, they didn't know what to do, but they heard that there was this prophet named Jonah who was asleep because he didn't want to have to do anything with life anymore. And they woke him up and like, dude, wake up. We're in the middle of a storm. What is wrong with you? Come on. We need your help. And they were wondering, why is there such a big storm? Like, it was a perfectly calm, calm day. No, no storms arising. They look at the forecast in the morning. They turn on the news. They said, no storms. But then all of a sudden, it's a boom, storm. And they had, what in the world's going on? And they realized that this was not no normal storm. It was a storm that came from, we don't know it came from God, but they knew it came from, if I could say this, a higher being. They knew it was not from one of their lowercase g gods, because I'm sure back in their minds, they know that their lowercase g gods have really no power, and they're believing a lie, but they realize there is something special about the storm, and there's someone who has called uh, has instigated this storm. And they called Jonah and asked him, what have you done? And Jonah, Jonah was talking with them, and he said unto them, verse 9, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, and the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then, verse 10, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For, for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. And verse 11, Then he said unto them, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempest. Now we know that the seamen knew what Jonah had done. He was running away from God. And they knew that was a bad deal. And later, next couple of verses, we see that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. He did not want to obey God's law. He did not want to obey his commandment. He did not want to obey his calling on his life. And so he's like, instead of living, I just don't want to live anymore. He, he was being selfish and did not want to take the gospel, not that time, but the, the news that they need to repent to the Ninevites, he decided to end his life instead of going take the word of God to them, which is saying a lot. If I cannot imagine wanting to take my own life not to share the gospel. That's hatred right there, being very prideful and selfish right there. And Jonah was swallowed up by a well because God said, huh, I'm, I'm all powerful. I know, I know what I can. He knew what to do, and it worked. God called the, called the fish, and the fish ended up swallowing him. And he was in there for three days and three nights. And I cannot imagine what it is like to be in a fish for three days and three nights. I'm not much of a fisherman. You can ask them to. The only time I really fish is when I have to. I'm just... It's not me. It's not me at all. But living inside of a whale for three days and three nights, not trying to be gross or anything, but just imagine all the filth, seaweeds, all the fish who haven't got died yet are in there fishing around with you. Just absolutely disgusting. It's horrendous. But for three days and three nights, he thought, 
what God had told him. I'll read again what he, God had called him. Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's just constantly going through his head. Constantly, constantly, and constantly going through his head that this is what God has for me. I messed up. I need to repent. I need to repent. And then he eventually, in chapter 2, repented of his sin, and God spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him up onto dry land. Now, I can imagine Jonah's like, all right, God, no more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you. So instead of fleeing, he started obeying God's will for his life. And so you just, I can imagine, grew up his loins and booked it right to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a huge city at that time. It's estimated about 125,000 people or more. And the city was a three days journey. So it's massive. A lot of people there. And so when he got there, he said to them in chapter in chapter 3, in verse uh, 5, so all the people, no, verse 4, my bad. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that would catch my attention. Could you imagine, let's say, we go to L.A., and there was a man of God who was willing to preach against Los Angeles and their sins, all the sins that they have, it's a pretty wicked city there, and just say, pay attention here, pay attention. God is going to destroy this city. God will wreak havoc on this city. Repent, and he will turn away from that. And they did. And they repented. Everybody in the whole entire city repented. And that's what Jonah had in plan. Jonah was upset about upset with God, saying, Really? Really, God? I thought I was going to get the message and nobody would repent. And you would just throw firestorms at him, throw hail at them, be like Sodom and Gomorrah, like salt everywhere, something like that. You're going to destroy them. And that's not how I plan on it, begin, how that happened. I plan on them being destroyed, but God's like, No, I haven't. I have another purpose for their lives, and they were spared from that. Now, Jonah was very displeased with God for saving people's lives from hell. God, Jonah was displeased from God from saving them from hell. Now, talk about selfishness right there. Being so selfish that you do not want somebody to go to heaven because you hate their ever-loving guts because they're a different nation. That's it's pretty serious right there. And God is the all-loving God. He's merciful and gracious where we don't deserve him. He was merciful and gracious to the people in Nineveh. But Jonah was very displeased. He, had, he eventually went outside the city and sat underneath a tree. And uh, he was moping. Why, God, why'd you have to do that? That's not fair. They've done so much sin. And you haven't, Jonah? You haven't sinned at all in your life? Those people deserve an equal chance as much as you do. Now, Jonah sat on the tree, and we know that there was a gourd. A, gro- a gourd grew over him and sh- gave him shade from the hot, beaming sun. Now, Jonah was just sitting back and relaxing, enjoying the nice shade, 
enjoying some fresh water, and just enjoying everything he could. And Jonah was really happy at that point. He was happy to have some shade. And then all of a sudden, that night, God sent a worm into the gourd. And the gourd became, I guess I could say, ill and got destroyed. And the gourd was no more. There's no more shade in the morning. So it was beaming hot. He had no suntan lotion. He had no shade. He had nothing to protect him from the sun that was beaming down. And he's like, why, God? Why did you have to destroy that gourd? Why did you have to do that to me? I was enjoying that. I was enjoying relaxing. I wanted that gourd to be for me. And, and God's, God is like, oh, so you care more about a gourd than you do about the children of Nineveh? You care more about a fruit, whatever it is, a vegetable, I don't know. But you care more about that and then some people in Nineveh? Wow, that is sad right there. That is really sad. Now, how does that apply in our lives? How does Jonah's life apply to us as 21st Christians living in the United States of America? God has a calling on all of our lives. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it's called the Great Commission. We are to go to all nations. We are even to go to Nebraskan Cornhusker fans. <laughs> we are to go to... I'm a Kentucky fan. We are to go to Kansas fans, North Carolina fans. We are to share the gospel to everybody, no matter what color skin they are, what race they are. Actually, there's only one race, my bad, human race. But whatever nationality they are, whatever male or female, whatever poverty or rich, we are to share the gospel to every person on this planet. That is our calling on life. Everybody's calling, each one of you in here, that is your calling life, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm ashamed to say that I have been selfish too many times to say to God, no, I don't want to share the gospel to them. Well, they deserve an equal chance like I deserve a chance. When I was age 13, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. They deserve a chance like I deserve a chance. Even our president deserves a chance to be saved, even though it's so hard to, if I could say, love a man who has ruined our nation. We ought to love everybody that doesn't deserve loving in our eyes. We also have a specific calling on our life. My specific calling on life is to go into youth ministry, to be a youth pastor, and to spread the gospel to teenagers and to help them out in their lives. Now, not everybody here is me in full-time ministry, but you are called to Elk Point Baptist Church. You are called to help on Sunday school, help in junior church, help sing on the platform, play on the piano, do something. that God has a calling in your life. My dad, me and him talked, he... He's been doing the bus ministry for over 30 years, and, and he knew God's calling on his life was not to be a missionary, not to be a youth pastor, not to be a pastor, not to be an evangelist, just to be a humble servant that God could use. And for 30 years, he's been a humble servant. He knows, he's had the peace of God, knowing that that's where he is called. 
Because when he goes into the inner city of Indianapolis, he doesn't see people. He, he doesn't see the houses. He sees the people there. He sees the souls there that need saving. That's pretty cool. Because there's often times that we see somebody in raggedy clothes who doesn't, who we don't think, who has tattoos up and down their arms, who is smoking, who has been drinking. We think, oh, they don't deserve God. Well, they deserve an equal chance like we deserve an equal chance. Jonah's life had up and up ups and downs, ups and downs, all through his life. And Jonah was selfish the majority of that time. And in your life, have you been selfish not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I turn to Matthew 28 to just read the verse to you. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Starting verse 18. And, all, and Jesus came and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Verse 19, the command, we have two words. Go ye. That's our commandment. Is to go ye. It's so hard. Actually, it's not hard. It's our it's our flesh that makes everything so hard living on earth. Our flesh, if we didn't have flesh, man, glory, this would be an awesome place. No sin. If we had no sin, we'd just we'd all be in the garden of Eden still. With Adam and Eve, sure, still alive and That'd be pretty cool. But since our sin is, our flesh is here, it makes it more difficult. Our flesh doesn't want to do what God wants us to do. And God wants us just to do, go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Now, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and Jesus was saying, what... The three years that we spent together, everything that I taught you, I want you to teach everybody the same thing. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And we have a reminder that Jesus is always with us. Jesus is there for us. And so, I'm going to end with this thought. Are you being selfish? Are you being disobedient in God's calling on your life? Are you disobeying God's call in general for all Christians to go ye and teach all nations? Are you being selfish? Are you being too prideful? I don't, they don't deserve it. Well, you didn't deserve it either. But Jesus was gracious and merciful to you. So, are you being too selfish and prideful? Or are you being willing to be obedient to God and give the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone around you? So I, I'll do this. 
If you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And as you're turning there, I'll tell a little bit about myself. I am from the great state of Kentucky, uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky to be exact. The uh, home of the Corvette. That's kind of what we're known for. Um, not much goes on there uh, except that. And um, I actually graduated Heartland this past May and am getting the opportunity to travel once again on the VBS team with my uh, fellow preachers here this morning. And um, I'm going to, the plan is right now to at least go back um, for a year for the graduate program they have, the master's program there at Heartland. And I'm just honestly in a position right now where I am just waiting on God and seeing what he has in store and where he wants me to go. And he hasn't made it clear where to go yet, and so I feel like the best thing to do is if he hasn't made it clear where to go, then just stay. Um, and so, but it's been awesome. I have loved every minute of being out there. Well, almost every minute. I have very much enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed serving this summer with these men, and I'm just very excited about what the Lord has in store. So, with that being said, Genesis chapter 22, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And so I've entitled the message this morning simply this. Obedient faith overcomes the trials. Obedient faith overcomes the titles, uh, I mean the trials, with the subtitle, Why Me? Why Me? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to just share what you've been working on in my heart, Lord, and just um, proclaim your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just be with the remainder of the service, be with this um, preaching time, Lord, and Give me the words to say and the manner to say it, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Oh, yes. That might be beneficial. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. So, how many of you, anybody in here, remember test in school? Anybody? And does anybody, did anybody, out of curiosity, like test? Anybody? No? I didn't think so. I didn't like tests either, but I was a good guesser. Not a good tester, good guesser. So, you know, tests would have these multiple choice, multiple guess. Some people call it A, B, C, or D. 
and I, you know, didn't really pay attention much in school, but I would, I could generally get it down to two answers. So, you know, the question might be something like, when did Columbus sail on the ocean? And I would think to myself, okay, so it's not 2011, that's obvious. It's not uh, 1776, that, that's kind of obvious too. But I, is it, did Columbus sell the ocean blue in 1492, or did Columbus sell the ocean sea in 1493? And it'd be these two options, and I would typically guess the right answer. I don't know how it worked. But did you know that God tests us? God sends us tests. In fact, God was testing Abraham in our text. God sent Abraham this pretty hard test. And before we can get into how are we supposed to respond to these tests, because Abraham is a perfect example of how to respond when God sends you and I a test. But before we can get into that, we, we must understand why. Why did God send Abraham this test? Why did God ask Abraham to take his only son, his promised son, well, he had another son, but this is the son of promise, the, the son that God promised Abraham, and why did God tell him to offer him up in a sacrifice? Well, I think... It, it, it comes down to this, because a faith tried is a faith proven. See, God wants to prove your faith. See, God knows everything. God knows how we're going to respond. But for instance, if, if I said that Aaron and I were friends, and I think we are, but I, I never talked to him, I, I can say that, but I never show proof of that. I could say whatever I wanted, but if I never show it, it's not really proving it. And God works the same way. God wants to prove mine and your faith by having us show our faith. And so a faith tried is a faith proven. And we come here, and that's what God is doing in Abraham's life. And so Abraham obeys completely. He has this astounding faith. God calls Abraham to do this very difficult task, and Abraham does it. Now, I would like to believe that every time that God tells me to do something, God tells me to increase my missions offering or my tithe or, or even just to give someone a track, I like to believe in my mind that I would respond the same way Abraham did. But the truth of the matter is, I, I believe church that that we tend not to be like Abraham. We tend to, when trials come, ask the question, why me? And exactly like I kind of think and, and, and the position that I'm in, why me? God, my friends are all out serving you in ministry. They're getting married and I'm here single just serving you and, and not going out and still going to school. Why me? And we tend to ask ourselves this a lot of times. Instead of having the response that we know we should have, and in fact that is, is, is highlighted here in our text, we don't act like Abraham when we should. Because when God tells us to do some, something, we start to have doubts, we start to have fears, we start to think, 
God, you want us to give how much to missions? How am I ever supposed to give this much? God, if I give them a track, they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. They, they are going to respond with hatred. I can't give them a track. Don't you understand? And God, that doesn't matter to God. God expects us to have obedient faith, like Abraham. It doesn't matter what excuse we come up with. It doesn't matter anything. And Abraham could have even been wondering the same thing, but the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, in Hebrews, he, the Hebrews says, the author of Hebrews writes that Abraham had so much faith that he believed that God would just raise Isaac back from the dead. See, we've, we can see this obedient faith if we just look at verse 8 of our text. Because Isaac is starting to look around and he's start, starting to notice everything is in place for this offering except the lamb. And as every son, he starts to ask his dad questions. And, and in verse 8, Abraham says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And so they went, both of them, together. He had this amazing, obedient faith to do whatever it is that God had asked him to do. And so, real quickly here, I just want to invite you to have the same faith, to trust God with whatever it is, with whatever God wants you to do, with whether it's giving a person a track, whether it's increasing how much you might give to missions, whatever it is, whatever it might seem difficult that God has asked and tasked you with, trust God through that. God will provide, and God provided for Abraham, God will provide and take care of you too. And that's all I have this morning, Brother Jesse. young men, and uh, I appreciate them getting up here and preaching the Word of God, amen, that's what, uh, that's what makes the difference, so, uh, so thankful for that, and of course, I love how Genesis uh, 